Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week three is in the books. We got to check out some games, see how it went. Uh, how are you? How was your weekend? Did you enjoy? I did. Hard not to enjoy your alma mater going up and down the field on a really terrible NC State team. So felt good about it. I wouldn't know what that's like. <sighs> All right, let's get into it. So anyways... <laughs> Uh, yeah, good week three in the ACC. We had six games, five of them conference action. Uh, Mike, the picks were better. Your picks were quite a bit better, actually. You went four and one on picks against the spread here. I went two and three. Not as bad as last week, but, you know, it's an improvement, I guess, on some level. Um, but, yeah, it was a it was a good week. I felt like we learned some things about a few of these teams. So let's just jump right in. Yep. And, and where normally we would talk about a game that was the most interesting to watch of the weekend, we're going to, I mean, I guess this game was interesting to watch, but for kind of different reasons maybe than the, your conventional wisdom would say, uh, number 12, Miami 52, Florida State 10. Tried to tell you. Woof. Uh, <laughs> this, oh, the spread was 11? I thought it said 110. Okay. Well, yeah, okay. Okay. Well, I thought Florida State covered. Sorry. That, yeah, that that explains that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So big yikes for Florida State. Uh, not a good effort from the Seminoles. And and Mike, I I think we need to we need to talk about something here real quick. Yep. Let's go. I I and I'm I'm concerned. I'm worried. And I need I need some help. I need you to help me through this. This is a tough time. I think Miami might actually be legit good. Yeah, they're good. This is not helping, Mike. I've tried to tell you. <laughs> the Mike and Joey Hate Miami podcast cannot go on if Miami is legit good and we are acknowledging on said podcast. Uh, Miami, yeah, looked real good in this game. And, and and here's the thing, Mike, is the thing that we've talked about about their offense in particular over the past few weeks is that it's, it's a little bit of an unfinished product. There are still some things that they don't do particularly well. I still don't think that De'Eric King is all that great at throwing the ball down the field accurately and receivers coming down with the ball in coverage, that kind of thing. But here's the thing that's probably worth noting. Rhett Lashley knows that too. And he is yes. not asking them to do that much. He's playing to their strengths, which is really smart. So ipso facto... Miami's really good on offense because they're doing the things they're playing to their strengths. They are playing to their strengths. Now, it, it was a little bit more difficult in portions of this game for Miami to, like, really break off, like, long runs, right? Mm -hmm. Like we saw in the first couple games of the year, we saw Miami break off long runs, and Cameron Harris had, like, awesome runs in the open field and was able to burst through the hole and get to the second level. Like, we saw some of that on Saturday night in this game, but we didn't see a lot of it. Now, Miami as a team still ran the ball really well. 37 carries, 200 yards, 
five, nearly five and a half yards per carry, four scores on the ground. They still ran the ball well. But for the first time this season, we saw what De'Ara King was able to do through the air when he was asked to really throw the football. Um, look, De'Ara King, 29 of 40, 267, two touchdowns. He had a lot of throws, too, that were down the field, right? And that was the first time we had really seen De'Ara King in that role, where a question for us going into this game was, okay, Florida State's got a pretty good front. If they're able to blunt, no pun intended, we're able to blunt the Miami rushing attack, would the Hurricanes find other ways to win on the outside with their playmakers? Um, that's why we brought up Asante Samuel Jr. for Florida State um, in the secondary, saying he could be a key to the football game. Well, the only problem was that Miami threw all over Florida State. It didn't matter if Florida State got Miami in situations that were like passing downs. We, we hadn't really seen that a lot for the first couple of games for Miami. They were in passing down situations in this game on Saturday night. And it didn't matter because De'Ara King found a way to make it work. He was efficient. He was accurate. Again, 267 and two scores through the air. They'll take it. He added 65 yards rushing on the ground. Miami is a team. They gutted it out. It wasn't sexy, but they found a way to, to get the run game going enough to make the air king comfortable in the pocket and give them the options down the field to win with the athletes that they had. Mm-hmm. And that's why Miami was so successful in this football game. Florida State couldn't do anything offensively. They really struggled. Um, averaged just over four yards per carry really didn't run the ball well. James Blackman struggled 120 yards passing, a touchdown and a pick. Just pedestrian numbers by the Florida State offense. But really, Miami was able to grind it out and find a different way to score points than they had in the first couple weeks of the season. And that's what was most impressive to me about this performance for the Hurricanes. Yeah, Florida State, it's it's worth noting here that Florida State came out and scored all 10 of their points in this game on the first drive of the game, 14 plays, 68 yards field goal. And the first drive after halftime, 12 plays, 79 yards, touchdown. And, and this is something that uh, I actually heard Bud Elliott, uh, who's, again, big national recruiting writer, but a big Florida State guy, he pointed out after the Georgia Tech game is that Florida State came out the first couple drives of that game, like, you know, playing with their hair on fire on offense because they were running the script. Right. They were doing the thing that they had planned on in practice. And when they're doing that, that goes great. You want to know what the Florida State did for the rest of, of the first half after that 14-play, 68-yard drive that gave them a field goal? Tell them, Joey. Three and out, three and out, one-play interception, four and out, nine plays turnover on downs. Mm, bad. Not good. Not good. Like, as soon as they get off the script, it's like it turns into a total mess. Um, now, credit Miami's defense because that that front was just running circles around Florida State's offensive line, which I don't even know if it was totally possible, but they were. Um, they looked really good defensively, did Miami. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things too that you look at, and I, I was looking at this in the in the box score, is that Derek King finishes twenty nine of forty for two sixty seven and two scores. That's that's really good. But the key number there to me is that he he finishes with under seven yards per attempt, and that's where that's where we're kind of saying like there wasn't this constant downfield you know onslaught going on. He was distributing the ball into the flats. He was distributing the ball, you know, within the you know the next ten or fifteen yards outside the the, the line to, to gain line of scrimmage. Sorry, um, that's I think that's where he's in his sweet spot. You know, he, he yep. doesn't have to be accurate on deep balls. 
if you can find guys in that short to intermediate range, and if you can mix that in with a, a dominant rushing attack and the occasional deep ball as, as coverage is bust, like they are in really good shape. And, and it's the play calling, it's the... Uh, it's just the general instincts from Rhett Lashley, I think, kind of making this thing run that, man, this Miami offense, like, I'm not convinced at this point that necessarily the Florida State defense is actually the best one that they've played so far. I mean, after what we saw. Oh, man. We got it. Mike, this game got into, like, middle of the second quarter, and it almost seemed like Florida State's defense saw, like, oh, so our offense isn't going to do anything all game? All right, well, forget it. Like, then why would we bother? Like, it it seemed like they kind of quit on the game a little bit. Pack it in. Yeah, that first half, you know, that first quarter or so, like Miami scored touchdowns in their first two drives. It took them 28 plays to do it. So yeah. Florida State was was causing them problems, but Miami's converting on third downs. They're taking care of the ball. They didn't turn it over at all in the first half. And at some point it just turned into a total onslaught from from Miami and, and Florida State just sort of couldn't couldn't stop it. So Miami's looking good. Florida State looking bad, Mike. Real bad. bad. Like, where do they? Where do they go from here? Bad. Because yeah. like, not a not a favorable schedule. No. And not a great offense. And turns out probably not a great defense either. So. So ooh, man, tear we were, it down before you build it back up, Joey. We were talking about this before we came on and recorded. Mike is that Florida State hosts Jacksonville State next week, and pff, shoe buddy. Don't lose that game. Don't do it. Don't don't even have a Sanford situation from last year where they take you to like double overtime or whatever. Yeah, Just they'll take, be. Please take care of business. Yeah, they'll be calling Willie Taggart back up. Ooh. Mike, after that, here's what the slate looks like for Florida State: at Notre Dame, home against UNC, at Louisville, home against Pittsburgh, at NC State. I think that NC State game is maybe the next time they'll be favored. And, and even then, I mean, what NC State is, and by the way, that's in like mid-November. So what NC State is by then, like this thing could get real ugly here for a while for Florida State. Like two wins ugly. Yes, like on the season, yeah. Yeah, for the entire year. And and that's one of those things, too. It's like yeah, we had James on here, James Coleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, big game, James. That's right. We had him here on this, this year podcast to preview the Seminoles and – Thing that he told us is that look if the defense performs to expectation and James Black and comfortable like eight or nine wins neither one of those two things really panned out through two games for Florida State they lost a barn burner 16 to 13 game to Georgia Tech and then they didn't even really get off the bus here against Miami like the defense held up okay early but like you mentioned like once they realized the offense wasn't going to do anything they just packed it in that was it yep meanwhile Miami off next week and then probably plays the two best defenses they'll see all year agree at Clemson home against Pittsburgh you might win the Pittsburgh game but you might only need like 27 points to win it yeah I mean that's that's the thing with Pitt and we'll we'll talk about them here in a minute. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing about Pittsburgh. It's like if you're able to score three or four touchdowns, you have a pretty good chance. So it's a great defense over there at Pittsburgh. But, like, reasonably speaking, this Miami offense should be good enough to score a handful of times and put themselves in a really good position there. Yep. Miami 52, Florida State 10. Uh, speaking of which, Mike, let's just move on and talk number 21, Pittsburgh 23, number 24, Louisville 20. Uh, this game pushed. 
what it's worth, um, we were both neither correct nor incorrect on the spread. Um, it, it came in very close. Um, I, I this game, I I was impressed with both teams in this game. In a way, um, it was competitive. It was back and forth. It looked early on. Pittsburgh looked like they were just going to run away with this thing early on. Uh, Louisville looked bad, especially offensively early in the game. They looked disinterested. They looked hungover. I don't know what necessarily, but Louisville did not look like they wanted to be there. And then all of a sudden you get JV and Hawkins just takes a little halfback dive 75 yards up the middle uh, and puts Louisville right back in it. And then from there on, the game was on. Um very close game, very well-fought game. I, I mean, Louisville's defense still not perfect by any stretch, but I felt like there was some improvement. Um, Pitt's offense did just enough. Uh, Kenny Pickett comes in, you know, a little bit short of six yards per attempt, which is par for the course. Um, I, You know, so I, I was impressed with Louisville's ability to fight back. Um, they struggled to run the ball a lot, and they struggled just in general offensively against this Pittsburgh front. But for Louisville to hang in there the way that they did against a tough defense, they moved the ball within reason. Um, I, You know, I, this was a close, well-fought game. Pittsburgh comes out the winner, good on them. But I, I don't think I've got a whole lot of anything negative to say about these two teams. I thought they played each other pretty well. All right, Joey. Um, name that Cunningham. Malik. Yes, Malik. Nice. That's correct. All right, thank you. Um yeah. Now his head bounced off the turf there late in the game, so we'll see if he remembers that his name's Malik. Got carted off. Week. That could be a problem. It, yeah, that could be a problem. So look, something to monitor. In all seriousness, that looked like it was a pretty serious injury. I'm I'm hoping Cunningham's okay. Um, obviously, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the conference when he's healthy. So you know, hopefully everything turns out okay for him because that was really just. It didn't look good. I mean, anytime you're carted off the field and, you know, they have to report on whether or not you can move your extremities, it's generally not a good situation. So all things told, he can move his, his arms and legs, and he was alert. At least that was the, that was the report yesterday afternoon. So might have been a stinger concussion type situation. But anyway, something to monitor. Yeah, Malik Cunningham wasn't great. 9 of 21, 107. So, woo, bad. Not Touchdown great. and three picks. Yeah, not great. Now, in Cunningham's defense, he didn't have much help from Louisville's rushing attack, like you mentioned. Javion Hawkins, Joey, do you want the good news or the bad news here? Let's start with the good news, Mike. All right, let's start with the good news. He was the leading rusher for Louisville, mm-hmm. as he should be. Uh, 13 carries for 78 yards and a touchdown. That's not um, bad, right? Right. The only problem is that that 75-yard touchdown run he had came on one carry. Mm. And outside of that, Javion Hawkins had 12 carries for three yards. Is that good, Mike? It's real bad. Oh, I see. It's real bad, in fact. So, whew, that was that was not good. Not Hassan great. Hall, three carries, four yards. Tiberius Peterson had uh, one carry for 31 yards. Malik Cunningham, 13 carries, three yards. So, um, so yeah, what we're saying is that 106 of 106. non-existent. What we're saying is that 106 of 116 rushing yards for Louisville came on two carries. The other 10, 10 yards came on 28 carries. Yes, which no matter how you slice it and dice it is objectively terrible. And we'll, we'll add in there that of those other 28 carries, nine of or seven of them were sacks by the uh, Pittsburgh defense, which, once again, not helping Malik Cunningham. 
now. Now on the other side, Pittsburgh running the football. Look, shout out Louisville's rushing defense for a minute because they hung in there. Mm -hmm. And Pittsburgh doesn't have a great rushing attack, but they're going to run the ball down your throat, even if they're not any good at it. They're going to try to. They haven't been now. They're going to try to. And they haven't been good at it now for basically one and a third seasons. Like, (laughs) they haven't been good at it now for quite a while. And they just kept plugging away like 40 carries for 156 yards in this game for Pittsburgh's rushing attack. Kenny Pickett won them the football game, Joey. Hmm. Um, throws, two, throws two touchdown passes, um, 220 yards, did have the one interception, but he didn't turn the ball over a lot. And Pittsburgh's rushing offense wasn't great. And the defense held Louisville down enough that Kenny Pickett was able to throw a couple touchdown passes, get the offense in favorable position, and really just kind of keep plugging away. It was an ugly win. Um, But, look, Louisville's a pretty good team. I still think they're a pretty good team. Like, defensively, major issues. Offensively, without Cunningham, major issues. Um, But I think Louisville still has a chance to be decent. And this is a Pittsburgh team that I think Joey has an opportunity to surprise some people in the ACC because their defense is so stout. Pickett takes care of the football and they run the ball like not well, but they try, right? They try real hard and Pickett's play action passer, which is going to make all the difference in the world. Pittsburgh running the ball needs to be really careful because uh, we might have to rename the Brian Van Gorder Memorial. You tried award after the uh, Mark Whipple Memorial. You tried award of uh, they Mike, they tried so hard to run the ball. (laughs) They try so hard. It just doesn't work. Vincent Davis, forty or fourteen carries for forty-seven yards. It's the not, law firm. It's not good. Yeah, Davis and Davis goes for uh, eighteen carries and like seventy yards. So mm. I mean, it's whatever. It's fine. I don't know. <laughs> Seen better. Yeah. Gosh, that's the thing is that, and that's what we got to realize is that Pittsburgh, like their offensive standards, I guess at this point had to be completely different. And this goes back right to the point that Alex Kirshner made that we mentioned before is that Pittsburgh at this point is pretty much late stage Michigan state. It's been the, 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 this is the end vision for Pat Narduzzi is score 27 points and win every game by three points. Like, I mean, that's, that's what they are and that's what they're able to be and, and God bless them for it. But I mean, goodness, like (laughs) in the year of our Lord, 2020 playing college football, we're winning games by scoring 27 points. Like that's all right. I mean, your thing, not mine. So they have grit, Joey. They have grit. Oh, they got that. Um, yeah, I, I will say, I mean, from what I saw from, from Louisville's defense here, like still some issues, still not particularly great. I think the ceiling is like average, but with as good as the defense, as, as good as the offense is like that, that'll work. Like, yeah. And it's almost the same thing you say about Pittsburgh's offense. Like ceiling is probably average, maybe a little above average, but as good as the defense is, that'll work. So yeah, yeah. And Joey, we might be in a situation a month from now where, where we end up saying, "Look, Louisville's defense actually wasn't quite as bad as it looked. Like just had a bad game against Miami, mm-hmm. and Miami is just scoring forty and fifty points on everybody." Maybe we give Louisville a pass for how bad they looked last week, especially when considering how they bounced back. Now, again, Pittsburgh's offense, not great, right? So this is going to have to be kind of a developing thing with Louisville to see if they've got these defensive issues. 
not fixed, but ironed out enough to be competitive in ACC play where they don't have to score 40 points per game to win. Um, but it'll be something to monitor because there's potential for that to kind of end up being the storyline where, look, they had blown assignments and blown coverages against Miami, but Miami's doing this to everybody. So maybe it's more of a product of that. We'll have to see. I think that Louisville's defense definitely leaves a lot to be desired, but you know, I mean, just something to monitor. Keep an eye on. Last thing I've got on this, Mike, is you know that that meme of like the superhero guy trying to decide between which button he wants to press. Yep. Louisville's next game is in two weeks at Georgia Tech. How do we feel about a Georgia Tech offense that loves to implode against a Louisville defense that you never really know what they're going to give up? Like <laughs> not it's it's rhetorical, Mike. It's rhetorical. Good because I don't know how to answer that. Yeah, and I, I we'll we'll get there here in a minute. But anyways, Pittsburgh twenty three, Louisville twenty. Well fought game. I you know didn't come out thinking any real better or worse of either of these teams for it. Nice nice bounce back for the Louisville defense for what it is. But um, you know good game from both. Yep. Let's move on. Number twenty Virginia Tech. Your Hokies forty five. NC State twenty four. Uh, Mike feels like this game was maybe not as close as the scoreboard would want to indicate. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, Joey, Virginia Tech scored 17 points in the first 550 of game time. That seems like a good start. Yeah. Um, Took them 12 offensive plays. Yeah, so it was about the seven-minute mark, and NC State had to punt again because Bailey Hockman was atrocious, Joey. He was a problem, and not in a good way. And not in a good way. He was a bad kind of problem for NC State. And, look, it was about the seven-minute mark of the first quarter. Virginia Tech's dominating the line of scrimmage. Bailey Hockman and NC State's offense can't get out of their own way. And this was an offense that looked really good against Wake Forest, which I don't know who that says more about, Joey. But we'll talk about that later. Hmm. Um, So, you know, I'm looking at this game, and I'm like, you know what? Virginia Tech's dominating the point of attack. You know, the Hokies are missing 23 players and four assistants. And they are dominating NC State at the line of scrimmage. Beating that and ass. With seven minutes to, beating that ass. And with seven minutes to go in the first quarter, I declared the game over on social media. <laughs> and Tech fans were real angry at me. Um, <laughs> NC State was never competitive here, ever. Um, Devin Leary actually came in in relief at Bailey Hockman. So I, I don't really know why Devin Leary hasn't played for two weeks. Um, we're still trying to kind of figure that out. Not, not like he's this real intriguing option. He didn't even complete 50% of his passes last year, but Devin Leary comes in, he goes 12 of 16 for 165 and a touchdown, right? So he comes in and he's better than Bailey Hockman, um, but still pretty bad. The story of this game is Virginia Tech's offensive line. Um, Tech, you know, was missing several starters on the defensive side of the football. It didn't really end up mattering, but Virginia Tech had, most of their offensive starters. Now, Hendon Hooker didn't play in this game uh, for Virginia Tech at quarterback. Um, he underwent some medical testing. It was non-COVID related, Joey. Um, so they had a little bit of a health scare with Hendon Hooker just with some testing that they were doing before the season started. And he apparently hasn't practiced in a couple weeks. He's I thought now... I saw something about he was warming up before the game. Is that not right? He was. So... Um, he didn't play. He was cleared um, yesterday, I guess. Well, Friday now that we're recording on, on Sunday. Um, he was cleared to play football on Friday for Virginia Tech, but he had not practiced in a couple of weeks because he was undergoing 
medical testing for something non-COVID related. But it seems like everything's good, everything's clear, and he's going to be back at practice this week. It was not COVID related, though. So just something to watch. Um, Virginia Tech had Braxton Burmeister start a quarterback. He was fine. Um, had this like weird hand cramp and his hand looked mangled. So he came out of the game and Quincy Patterson actually also played for Virginia Tech. Burmeister went 7 of 11 for 106 yards. He had nine carries for 46 yards on the ground. Um, the story of this game, though, was Virginia Tech's rushing attack in the first quarter. Khalil Herbert got off to a hot start. He had 104 yards rushing on six carries. Joey, is that good? Mm-mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 17.3 yards per carry. That ain't bad. Uh, for Khalil Herbert, Quincy Patterson, like I mentioned, came in in relief. He threw two touchdown passes, um, one to James Mitchell, one to Tavion Robinson. Um, Quincy Patterson also ran for a touchdown. He had 47 yards on 10 carries. So Virginia Tech did enough offensively. Story of the game is the offensive line, totally blowing NC State off the ball. Uh, Virginia Tech now sits second in the country in yards per play. So this is a Brad Cornelson offense that we've had questions about in the past through one game, and this is what – Everybody gets the joy of doing when they play NC State. Um, the Hokies <laughs> averaged 8.53 yards per play on Saturday night. That's good. Yeah, that's good. They're sitting second only behind the 51 points and 8.73 yards per play, I believe it was, that Florida put up yeah. against Ole Miss. So you're in good company there. So, yeah, Virginia Tech looked really good. I, But, look, it's NC State, and they're also really bad. But when Virginia Tech's been good over the last 20 years, Joey, it's been having a really good rushing attack and having a good defense. And mm-hmm. without several defensive starters, without defensive coordinator Justin Hamilton coaching last night because of COVID protocols, without linebacker coach Tracy Clay's coaching last night because of COVID protocols, you're out several assistants. You're out several players on the defensive side of the football. Um, Jermaine Waller, the <laughs> who's probably going to be a, a guy drafted in the top three rounds at defensive back guy who lined up opposite of Caleb Farley all of last season. He didn't play last night because of COVID protocols. Like there were significant pieces missing both on the coaching staff and on the field for the Hokies. And they dominated NC state here. So a really encouraging win, maybe the biggest win of the Justin Fuente era, considering the circumstances here, Joey, they needed to get off to a good start because of the issues they've had in years past. Like, this is a pretty big win considering everything they had to overcome to get to this point. I, I, I don't have a ton to add here, Mike. There's two big thoughts that I had, though. Um, number one, I have made a habit out of criticizing Virginia Tech over the last couple of years because their game plans always seem like they are absolutely hell-bent on running the ball as much as they can, despite the fact that they're not all that good at running the ball and intent on not throwing the ball that much, despite the fact that they're really good at throwing the ball. Like The game plans just objectively don't make sense to me half the time. However, Mike, I couldn't help but think to myself as I'm watching this, as Virginia Tech is coming up with seven, you know, the better part of eight yards per carry on the ground. No, no, yeah, just keep running the ball this time. This is good. Like, this is working. Um, and, you know, it's clear, especially with Khalil, Her- Khalil Herbert. Um, wow, talking is hard. Uh, Khalil Herbert, I mean, <laughs> the burst on him was impressive, was amazing. Um, I, I thought there was, again, there were some really good, you know, big gains from Braxton Burmeister, from Jalen Holston. Like, that was a legit-looking rushing attack. 
Now, once again, zero-sum game. Who's to say what that is about Virginia Tech versus what it is against NC State? But who, you know, we'll we'll get there. Um, yeah. The other big thought that I had here, Mike, was NC State. I mean, offensively, it was a bit of a mess. Like, if you just look at the stat sheet, you'd say, well, Devin Leary went 12 of 16 for 165 and a touchdown. He was pretty good. Yeah, well, Devin Leary came in the game, like, midway through the third quarter, and the game was already done. Like, it was over. Done. Yeah. So, uh, the thing you need to look at is the fact that Bailey Hawkman played two-thirds of this game for NC State and finishes 7 of 16 for 82 yards and two picks. Like, that was a bigger story. But the thing I do want to point out here, Mike, and it's it's kind of following up on what we said last week about NC State and their win over Wake Forest, Zonovan Knight, Ricky Person combined for 27 carries for 158 yards and a touchdown. Lean on those dudes. Those guys are good. Like, that yeah. is by far the best thing about your offense. Keep leaning into them. Please do that because that is that is by far the most redeemable thing about NC State's offense. Maybe the entire team. I don't really know necessarily about the defense. and The defense seems like it's got its own set of issues. Yeah, it's kind of the reverse of what you were just talking about with Virginia Tech, where mm-hmm. you said, you know, they should have thrown the ball more in years past. And why aren't they doing that? Why are they just running the ball, you know, laterally and just not getting up the field and not just really not running the ball all that well, to be quite honest? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the opposite now with NC State. It's like, why are you throwing so much? Mm-hmm. Like, run the football with Bam Knight and Ricky Person. Like pound the rock and NC state kind of refuses to do that. Joey, one more quick thing on Virginia tech. They amassed over 300 rushing yards for only the third time since joining the ACC in 2004. So now 300 yards rushing. You don't see that very often. Um, But I thought that was an intriguing stat. One other thing like random special teams quirk, Um, Brian Johnson. So we made three field goals last night for Virginia tech. He's quietly becoming one of the better kickers in the conference. He hasn't missed a kick since last October. It's a pretty good streak. Yeah, so he's 15 straight field goal attempts made. Um, made 46-yarder, 49-yarder, and a 29-yarder last night. So, I mean, that'll play. Would you? Th- do you think, Mike, that Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech fans have seen more uh, 300-yard rushing games from the Hokies or more 300-rushing-yard games from Georgia Tech under Paul Johnson? Mm-hmm. And on that note, we transition into talking about the Georgia Tech game this week. And oh, God. Yeah, that, that makes me feel good. On big, to Georgia Tech. Big yikes. Uh, Virginia Tech 45, NC State 24. Good win for Virginia Tech. Really big start to the season. Again, a lot of guys out. So, uh, hard, you know, imagine what they're going to be when they get the starting quarterback and a bunch of really major players on the team back. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, NC State, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, <laughs> We're, we're big Dave Doran supporters, so I'm sure it's going to be just dandy the rest of the way. I saw a guy at the grocery store today wearing an NC State Wolfpack hat, and um, I told him to listen to the podcast. Oh, good. We're um, big NC State ho- supporters here. Hopefully he didn't turn his groceries over. <laughs> he seemed tempted. He seemed tempted. Uh, yeah. uh, Syracuse 37, Georgia Tech 20. That didn't go to plan, Mike. Didn't go to plan. Let me jump in here real quick. Yeah, you start, um, and then I'm just going to come clean it all up. That that sounds perfect. Um, we had a discussion during the preview. Mm-hmm. We said, all right, well, if Georgia Tech loses to Syracuse, we're going to be having some serious conversations about um, if the Yellow Jackets are able to get over that two-and-a-half win mark, like we thought two weeks ago when they had what we thought was a big win over Florida State. And here we are, Mike. 
And here we are. It turns out that Georgia Tech probably just beat a bad Florida State team, got rolled by UCF in the fourth quarter. I want to do revisionist history because I thought they played well for majority of that game, but really got rolled in the fourth quarter a week ago and then really just kind of sleepwalks into Saturday's game against Syracuse, knowing they're an eight and a half point favorite, knowing that, you know, Syracuse has not played well in their first two games of the season, knowing that Tommy DeVito offensively can't really throw the football all that well, as we've noticed. Whew, man, Jeff Sims. He found a way to continue to turn the football over. This is now mm-hmm. becoming an issue with Jeff Sims. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I am a Jeff Sims, avid Jeff Sims supporter, Joey. Mm-hmm. I am. I think he has a chance to be really good in the future. Mm-hmm. He needs to stop turning the ball over. Yeah. He really – we'll get into the turnover numbers in a second. Just there are some troubling trends here in the ACC from a turnover standpoint that I know we want to highlight in one of these other games mm-hmm. um, that we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. in a minute. Yep. Um, but Georgia Tech's got a ton of turnovers here for three games, Joey. Uh, yes, they do. Um, put it this way, as I, I, I told you that I went and looked up to see how far Georgia Tech was leading the pack nationally in turnovers. Um, they have turned the ball over 12 times now in three games. That's not good. What's worse, Mike, is it turns out they're not leading the pack, and that's a little teaser. We're going to come back to that here in a little in a little bit. Um, yeah. Before we do that, Mike, you know I, I've I've reflected on this game, and if you follow me on Twitter and you saw what I was saying about the game yesterday, it was it, I mean it was immensely frustrating watching this game. So Georgia Tech finishes this game outgaining Syracuse by about a hundred yards, um, yards per play, beat them out, you know, by like a yard per play or something. I mean there was there's a lot about this game to where, you know, you would say Georgia Tech was the better team. They were more talented. I mean, they held on to the ball for, uh, you know, upwards of 34 minutes. Um, they outgained them in first downs, 23 to 14. Like, there was – Georgia Tech was, in so many ways, was was the better team. And yet, Mike, um, so the, the best way that I can think to describe this is covering receivers – you know, like defending guys who are athletic and fast and, and can jump and all that. That's hard. Rushing the passer. Yes. That's hard. Reading a defense as a quarterback. That's hard. You know, breaking tackles, tackling in the open field. Those things are hard. Mike, you know, what's not hard. What's that Joey? Knowing where to line up. You know, what's not hard. Staying like staying still until the ball snapped when there's nobody in the stands and there's no music coming over the speakers. Those things aren't hard. And yet Georgia Tech can't do those things right. Like that is the thing that just drives me up a frigging wall watching this game is you have team this team making unforced error after unforced error. Georgia Tech finishes this game with 14 penalties for barely 100 yards. You know what that tells me, Mike? It tells me that most of those penalties were for about five yards each, which are all a bunch of false starts, you know, illegal substitutions, illegal formations, just a bunch of crap like that that is a coaching problem. Mike, give me a team of third graders in like two hours. I can teach them where to line up. Yep. They can know where to line up. You know, you need seven guys on the line. Get seven guys on the line. I can do that in two hours with a team of third graders. How it is that you have a team of power five football players able to rack up 450 yards of offense and and cause all these problems for Syracuse can somehow rack up 12, 13 penalties of just procedural BS. Like that's the stuff I, I, and I've said this for a while, Mike, is like, 
I don't like when Georgia Tech loses. You know, it's kind of frustrating, but like it is what it is. And at this point in my life, I don't get that mad about it. What I get mad about is when you when they play like absolute crap, and it's this kind of thing of just unforced error after unforced error. This kind of game and what this was, this is very much in the exact same vein of that loss to the Citadel last year. Yep. Yep. You were the better team on the field, and yet you still weren't in a position to win the game. Like, it's it's an embarrassment. It's a black eye. Now, very little credit I will give to to Jeff Collins on this. At least he kind of accepted responsibility in the postgame press conference. There's there, At least there's that. And it wasn't like, well, you know, transition that and effort this and – you know, I, whatever, like sometimes he's, he loves his jargon and his mumbo jumbo and whatever. So at least he didn't give you that in the press conference. He accepted responsibility. We're going to fix it, this, that, and the other, but goodness gracious, Mike, Georgia tech comes out 15 penalties for 104 yards, five turnovers in this game. Uh, four of them interceptions, two of them, I mean, tip pass, not, you know, arm got knocked over whatever, but just, Georgia Tech, it is so frustrating to watch a team that is clearly the better team that just gives the game away. That's the thing that drives me up a wall and that I'm I'm pissed off about after watching this game is Georgia Tech should have won that game and didn't. And it was all just – it was so much just had everything to do with self-inflicted, unforced errors. Yeah, a couple of weird things stood out to me. That was all well said, by the way. Now, a few things stood out Thank to you. me, right? You mentioned that Georgia Tech – no problem. I'm going to take a drink Georgia- now. Yes, uh, you might need to chug. Georgia Tech, so you mentioned the time of possession discrepancy, right? They held the ball for nine more minutes, roughly, than Syracuse. And you mentioned the fact that they were able to do that despite turning the ball over five times, which is something in and of itself. Um, The penalties are a problem, 15 for 104, like you mentioned. Going six for 18 on third down is a problem. That's something that needs to get cleaned up. A lot of that has to do with putting yourselves behind the sticks with all these stupid penalties false starts, procedural-type penalties, holdings, things of that nature, that needs to get cleaned up, Joey, like you mentioned. That's a big reason why Georgia Tech went 6-for-18 on third down. Third and two becoming third and seven is a huge problem. It's a huge problem. Third and five becoming third and ten. Like, backing yourself up to make Jeff Sims, a true freshman quarterback, have to put the ball in the air more than he wants to or more than he should. Um, That's the issue, right? Georgia Tech's defense... All things considered, not too bad, right? Not they terrible. had some they had some issue they had some issues or big plays down the sideline that Syracuse was able to make. Tommy DeVito. Well done. He, he played fine. well. Con- considering what he's been doing recently, that was a good performance for Tommy DeVito. Throws for nearly two hundred yards, two touchdowns and a pick. He was only thirteen and twenty four, so like not great passing numbers. But considering what he had been doing against a Georgia Tech defense that, look, I mean, Syracuse has played <laughs> Syracuse has played some tough opponents, right? Um, they sure. played North Carolina. I don't know how that defense really actually is. We'll find out. But they did play Pittsburgh last weekend. Pitt's defense, we know for a fact, is really good. Um, and Tommy DeVito has struggled there. Georgia Tech's defense, obviously not the best defense at the conference, not the worst. They're, they're probably middle of the pack defensively, I, w- I would argue. Um, and, and look, it's, it's one of those performances for Tommy DeVito that, you know, I think Syracuse could potentially build on here. But the issues, I think, were more in the light of Georgia Tech shooting themselves in the foot and giving Syracuse opportunities. 
And Syracuse is not a great football team, but they have enough talent that if you give them enough opportunities, they're going to chip away and figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Tommy DeVito was able to do. We know Tommy DeVito's got talent. He hasn't pulled it all together. Like, we saw it when he was backing up Eric Dungy when he got in the game um, a couple of years ago as a freshman. We're like, all right, this kid can play a little bit. Last year, there were some moments that he had, um, but overall, it was a disappointing year. Same deal to date this year. But I think he can build off of Saturday's performance. So if there's anything that Syracuse can take away from this game is that Tommy DeVito actually looked like a quarterback on Saturday. Um, I, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me from the Syracuse side of things. Well, and, and the, the thing that I'm going to point out here, too, is that Syracuse had three tu- or four touchdowns in this game. Three of them were on what you would probably rack up to defensive mishaps for Georgia Tech. They had two long touchdown passes for 43 and 46 yards on clear coverage busts, guys that were just running free behind the secondary. And then you had a long touchdown run from Sean Tucker. It was it was probably about a 15-yard run, except then it turned into a full-on 2010 National Championship game Michael Dyer situation of he got tackled and then bounced back up yep. and ran another 20 yards and scored. Um, so, again, defensive mishaps enabling big plays for Syracuse. Uh, credit to Richard Johnson, who writes for the um, – excuse me, Russell Johnson, uh, who writes for the Georgia Tech rival side. He pointed out Syracuse had four plays in this game – that constituted upwards of 45% of their 357 total yards on the day. Like you had just a couple of mi- of total mishaps on Georgia Tech's defense and otherwise Syracuse struggled to move the ball. Like they really did. They only had a couple of drives that went more than six plays the entire game, but a couple of them they had big plays or this that and the other. It, it's it's very frustrating. I this game does not honestly having having watched it seeing Syracuse score 37 points and, and they win and all this, I I don't come out of this game, Mike, thinking maybe Syracuse is better than we thought they were. Honestly, I don't. No. I, I still don't think Syracuse is that good. I, this is a total clunker for Georgia Tech, um, and it, it makes me think worse of Georgia Tech more than it makes me think any better than Syracuse. Yeah, I think that 100% needs to be a takeaway for sure. Um and, and look, like, I think Syracuse was put in some opportune positions because of issues that Georgia Tech had holding onto the football, issues they had on third down. Um, there were some opportunities that Syracuse had in this football game that I think if Georgia Tech plays better, you're probably not going to be presented with shots at the end zone that you had, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Georgia Tech just needs to be better. We haven't really talked about special teams. Um <laughs> We can get into that now or later, Joey. Well, let's just say we've got an opportunity to revisit this game when we get to awards later, and uh, then we can talk about Georgia Tech special teams. Yeah, yeah. so you all know where this is going. Mm-hmm. Bad loss for Georgia Tech, Joe. Yeah, I, I will say bright spot, Jameer Gibbs, still, I mean, absolute just a revelation for this team. Um, 18 carries for 105 yards. He's not a guy that should be running the ball 18 times, certainly not up the middle. I mean, he's not built for that. That's not his thing. Um, but I, I thought that he was quite effective in, in, in his action. Um, offensive game plan for Georgia Tech was weird here. Uh, I, I've talked a little bit about how much I've enjoyed them involving the running backs in the passing game for the last couple of games. That was, like, gone here. Um, not to mention there was also a total lack of – adjustment for the fact that Syracuse's defense and their front was causing a ton of issues for Georgia Tech's offense. Like 
I realize that you're without your top two tight ends, but like keep running backs in or, I mean, do, do something to try to take some of the pressure off Jeff Sims. There was very little in the screen game, you know, things that you can use to slow down a pass rush and, and limit aggressiveness. So I was really disappointed in the, the, the lack of adjustment from the offensive game plan. Um, I didn't love the play calling as much as I've enjoyed it the past two weeks. So I don't know. seems like a total just off day for Georgia tech in a lot of ways. Um, hopefully this is the exception and not the norm. Um, the other thing I'm going to point out is that Ke- Kelly Quinlan pointed out. So I, I mentioned this is very much analogous to the Citadel game last year. Um, Kelly pointed out too, that this is actually analogous to a couple of games from Jeff Collins tenure at temple before this, where, uh, Temple like took Villanova to overtime and, you know, had another really brutal game against, I think, UConn the year before that. So for whatever reason, Jeff Collins' teams seem to have this history of throwing a pretty big, bad clunker against a team that is n- inferior to them every year, which if that pattern continues, gosh, I can't wait to continue being a Georgia Tech fan for the next several years. Um, but... <laughs> In any case, um, I don't know. This this is a this is a game where it felt like Georgia Tech was the better team, but just continued imploding on itself. Um, and Syracuse was there and ready to take advantage, and and did so and won the game. So good on Syracuse for being there. They open up the new Carrier Dome with a win. Um, that was all good. Oh, by the way, Mike, something we didn't mention here. This game was delayed thirty minutes. Um, oh, yeah, we should probably talk about that real quick. That's probably worth bringing up. Um, this yep. game was supposed to kick off at noon or a couple minutes afterwards. It didn't kick off until like 1240 Eastern time. Um, Syracuse, I guess, uh, like asked or, or demanded or something that this get pushed back like 30 minutes. They were trying to confirm some negative COVID tests. I guess they did. They had three players that they were going to do like a rapid testing thing on. And so everyone's out there like on the sideline, ready to go. And then they pulled them all back in the locker rooms and the broadcast crew was clearly like up a Creek, not sure what to do. And I mean, it was a whole thing. It, it was totally bizarre. And I mean, just another weird thing that happened in this game. Yeah. And look, if you're trying to confirm negative COVID tests, like way after pregame warmups before you're about to take the field, for players that are likely to be dressing for the game. Um, we got bigger problems. Yeah. So uh, something to keep an eye on there. And something else to mention from pregame, uh, Andre Cisco, the safety for Syracuse, I guess ran into a teammate, banged knees or something like that, and then limped off the field and he did not play in this game. And I haven't seen a lot of diagnosis on kind of what that is or what that means for him going forward. But if he can't go, that is a huge loss for the Syracuse defense has been carrying the team so far this year. Yeah, I, I would agree. So, I mean, look, he's got to be out there. I mean, he's one of the guys who Syracuse absolutely cannot afford to lose. So hopefully if he does have to miss time, it's not for an extended period. He's probably a Thursday or Friday draft pick in the NFL draft next year. Yeah, um, one of the better players in the conference. That's right. So, uh, Syracuse thirty-seven, Georgia Tech twenty. At long last, Mike, we'll move on. Uh, Virginia thirty-eight, Duke twenty. Um, so you mentioned, and and we mentioned a little bit Georgia Tech with uh, four turnovers or five turnovers, excuse me, against Syracuse, and me thinking, man, they've got to lead the country in turnovers. And they don't, Mike, and that's because Duke leads the country in turnovers. They have turned the ball over 14 times in three games now, 
after they turned it over seven times. That is not a typo. They turned it over seven times in this game against Virginia. Uh, I, I Look, Virginia, we had some conversations about what we think they will be or won't be this year, but, man, we're not seeing Duke trending in a good direction so far this year. I am quickly coming to realize why Chase Bryce did not start at Clemson. I, I think I realized that a while ago, but I mean, we all, we all work at our own pace here, Mike, I guess. For reasons, <laughs> for reasons outside of Trevor Lawrence, I now understand why Chase Bryce was not starting at Clemson. Let me rephrase that sentence. Yeah. Four yeah. picks in this game. Not great. No, real bad, actually. Um, 246. Uh, he was 16 and 36 passing for 246, two touchdowns, four picks, like you mentioned, a 34 QBR, which is real bad. Um, He's better than Quentin Harris was last year, but it's not like not Duke's going to be. Yeah, it's not like Duke's going to be this incredible offense now because Chase Bryce is the quarterback, and that's that has a lot to do with the fact that Duke can't run the football either. Thirty-eight carries for fifty-six yards in this game. Yikes! Mm, big yikes. yikes! So we were doing this thing with running backs earlier, Joey, where we were like, "Hey, do you want the good news or the bad news?" So Deion Jackson was the leading rusher for Duke. So. Joey, do you want the good news or the bad news here? Uh, we'll start with the good news. All right, the good news. He had 49 yards on 14 carries, averaged three and a half yards per rush. It's not good news. It's just mediocre news. What's the bad is, news is now? Is that good news? <laughs> it, it, is, it is with the way this game went for Duke. Sure, we'll the take bad, bad news, news now? Okay, here we go. Um, Deion Jackson had one carry for 24 yards. Um, he had 13 carries for 25 yards. That's, that's not good news. That's really bad news, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, the offense was a struggle for Duke. And we figured that this would potentially be the case because Virginia is returning multiple starters on defense and they have a very good unit on that side of the football. So it's not a huge surprise that Duke struggled offensively in this game. The thing that actually stood out to me was that Duke got off to his hot start and then couldn't really do anything functionally for the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. That's what kind of weirded me out a bit. And it wasn't too shocking just from the fact that UVA offensively with Brennan Armstrong, you know, your feet, you know, got to get your feet wet a little bit in your first collegiate start. So that wasn't a huge surprise. I don't come away from this game like, oh, my God, Brennan Armstrong is unbelievable, right? I just don't. 24-45, 269, two touchdowns, two interceptions against a very mediocre defense. So I don't come away from this game blown away by Brennan Armstrong. But what I will say is that I was very pre- impressed with Wayne Tolapapa. Mm-hmm. And – We've talked about him a lot on this podcast, Joey, because Virginia's offense last year was predicated on what Bryce Perkins could or could not do, right? Um, And the offensive line for Virginia was just okay last year. The running game outside of Bryce Perkins was actually pretty bad. Wayne Tulipapa couldn't really get going much last year, and he would go down easily. Most of his touchdowns were around the goal line. He didn't have any like long runs or things like that, but there were some encouraging signs last night from Wayne Tolapapa. Mm-hmm. Look, he was running with a purpose, 16 carries, 95 yards, two scores, had multiple runs inside the 10, inside the five tough yardage. One of his touchdown runs, he dragged like three guys into the end zone, like some tough running that we did not necessarily see a year ago out of Wayne Tolapapa. Mm-hmm. If UVA has a running game to help, Brennan Armstrong in year one as a starting quarterback, the ceiling changes for Virginia, Joey. They'll be, they okay. Have a, they'll be okay. They have a very good defense. 
So if they're able to all of a sudden run the football a little bit and help Brennan Armstrong out, all of a sudden UVA is Pittsburgh, right? Mm-hmm. That's who that's who they are, which in a rebuilding year, quote unquote, fine. That's fine. Yep. Like you're going to be a top 35 team in college football. Perfect. Sign me up. Yep. If I'm a UVA fan, you'll get back behind that 100% given what you lost um, in your secondary and what you lost, of course, with Bryce Burke as a quarterback. So some encouraging signs for Virginia. Real impressed with the defense. Real impressed with the running game in game one. Not as impressed with Brandon Armstrong, but it was his first start. I'll give him a little bit of a pass. Um, just on the note of Wayne Tulapapa, the thing I'm going to bring up here. Mike, Wayne Tulapapa finishes this game with 5.9 yards per carry. And and I agree with you. I was, again, I was re-watching this game earlier today, and I texted you saying he's got a lot more burst than we saw last year. Um, Definitely. It was like it was like a miracle if he got more than like seven yards on any given rushing attempt last year. Like that just never happened. Right. Today, you know, this this first game, he finishes with 5.9 yards per carry. He had a few good, you know, runs where he got into the secondary and, and was able to make something happen. Mike, do you know there was actually only one game all of last year that he had as many as 5.9 yards per carry? I, I, I would ask you if you have any guesses against who that would be against, and you just wouldn't get it because somehow, some way, Wayne Tulapapa averaged 6.6 yards per carry in the very first game of the season they played against the Pittsburgh Panthers. Hmm. <laughs> somehow, I don't know how that worked, but the rest of the year, he never saw that number again, and really only like once had five yards per carry even. like Again, he was V3 yards in a cloud of dust running back, and so to see him take a step forward, have a burst and, and have a couple of longer runs and, and really get, you know, rack up some yards. I, I was impressed watching him. Um, I'll say about Brennan Armstrong, it was a little bit inconsistent. You know, if you look at the ceiling versus the floor of some of the best things he did and some of the worst things he did, there's a pretty good gap there. Um, I thought some of the, a couple of throws he made were inc- like really great throws. I thought some of the throws he made were horrific um, and I thought there was, you know, a good amount in between, you know, so a first start for a guy who I don't even know if he qualifies as a sophomore at this point, he might still be a redshirt freshman somehow, not a sophomore. Okay, sure. Um, but I, I thought he was fine, you know, again, against the Duke secondary, it was down Mark Gilbert and, you know, had some issues. So I thought there was some good stuff there. I, 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 I thought there was a couple of brilliant catches from Lavelle Davis. Uh, freshman yeah, he's receiver. good. He's good. He was good. Tony Poljohn had a couple of nice catches. Like, I was fairly happy with what I saw from this Virginia offense in game one under, you know, pretty much totally new on-field leadership, you could say. Um, The other one I was going to mention, and this got called out to us by one of our our biggest fans on Twitter, D'Angelo Amos had an interception. He was a transfer in from James Madison, if I'm not mistaken. Had an interception in the first half that was an amazing, like, diving, full extension, got in front of the receiver on a throw pick. Um, so lots of good things we saw from Virginia. They This was a, a competitive, tough game, you know, even into halftime, past halftime. But in the fourth quarter, Virginia is really able to pull away. So good on for, for good on Virginia for doing that. On the other hand, Mike, uh, Duke, Chase Bryce, that's a problem. And that's not a good problem. It's, it's, it's a bad problem. Um, I feel like that's a trend on this podcast tonight. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a lot of bad problems in week three in the ACC. Yeah. It's just we're finding out 
some things yep. about a lot of teams. We're turning over some stones here, Mike. Uh, we yeah, are. Chase Bryce, as you mentioned, 16 for 36 for 246, two touchdowns and four picks. That's not good. I Again, watching this game, and I, I texted you this as well, saying he, he almost has, in a, in a way, um, the same thing we were saying about Jake Fromm going into the draft last year is you can pretty clearly see he knows where the ball should go. He, you know, he's throwing the ball. He has identified the receiver that the ball should go to, and he can see the spot that it should go to. It's just that his arm is not good at consistently getting the ball in the spot that it's supposed to go to. Um, there are sometimes there were a couple of times that he had flashes that were, again, brilliant, just dropping a dime down the sideline into tight coverage, like a couple of brilliant throws he made. And then there were other times it was like, that wasn't the right spot to throw the ball at all. Like very inconsistent, you know, it, it feels like this Duke offense, like there's some potential there, at least from the passing game. But I mean, you're going to have to see some development from chase Bryce for it to get there. Cause just even just physically, I don't know if it's mechanical or what it is. Like he's not putting the ball in the right spot at a consistent basis. And it's really impeding what they're able to do. Yeah, I mean, 13 points in week one against Notre Dame. Okay, fine. It was Notre Dame. Six points against Boston College. We'll get into them in a second. Not great. And not great. And then 20 points uh, in this game against UVA. It's a season high for them from a point standpoint. But they also had a season high seven turnovers, like you mentioned. So, like, at at what point do we look at this and we say, all right, let's take a look at the schedule. When is Duke winning a game? Mm-hmm. Um, now, the interesting thing about this for Duke, real quick, Joey, all right, they got Virginia Tech at home next weekend. I joked on Twitter earlier today. Not a lot of people got my sarcasm. I said, oh, my God, trap game of the year for Virginia Tech because Virginia Tech plays North Carolina on the road in two weeks. There's, there's not a single person overlooking Duke after what happened last year in Blacksburg. Um, yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah. Um, not a lot of people got my sarcasm. People were real angry at my mentions. Anyway, <laughs> um, after that, Duke travels to Syracuse, to NC State. So you get two pretty bad teams. Home against Charlotte, home against UNC, home against Wake, at Georgia Tech, home against Florida State. Like, even so, like, even with the schedule that's all of a sudden, you know, not too bad, I don't have this great feeling that Duke's going to win a lot of these games. Mm-hmm. I just don't. Like, they should beat Charlotte. They should beat Syracuse, but they should beat NC State potentially. I don't know but if they NC should State... beat Syracuse necessarily. Right. So that's what I'm saying, right? So it's like, look, there are some bad teams in the ACC on Duke's schedule. I'm not entirely convinced that they're going to win a lot of those bad games. Mm-hmm. Again, or those, those games against quote-unquote bad teams. Like, I don't think that we can be confident about that. Like, this – Anything you've seen out of Georgia Tech, I mean, Georgia Tech looked bad yesterday, I understand. But, like, does have you seen anything that makes you think that Georgia Tech can't beat Duke? I've seen Georgia Tech play Duke for the last, like, six years, and they're, like, one in five. So Yeah, okay. Well, I guess that. Aside from that, though, no. Like, <laughs> this Duke team, there's, there's not a lot of objectively about this Duke team that's, like, particularly impressive. I mean, y- like, you talk about that offensive line. I mean, they gave up, what, five or six sacks in this game. They They – bolstered their rushing attack to a, a you know a pretty robust 1.5 yards per carry like that's not a that's not a comforting sign if I'm a duke fan um right 
I don't know. There's some that would insist that this Duke offensive line is actually pretty functional. I ain't seeing it right now, Mike. I am not. No, no, I'm not. I'm not either. I'm, I'm with you in that camp. And look, Duke's got some winnable games on the schedule, considering what we know about some of these teams that they're going to be playing, right? There are winnable games. But if mm-hmm. you gave me over under two and a half for Duke right now, I'm not too confident I take the over. Like, no. okay, they should beat Charlotte. Should beat Charlotte, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Charlotte's got some players who are going to play on Sundays, though, on sure. defense. They ain't so bad. are are we? Yeah. So are we entirely convinced? I don't know. I mean, Duke better be careful. Bottom line. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, all right. That's all I got. I'm, I'm intrigued by Virginia. I am disturbed by Duke. We'll say that. Yes. Virginia. And now I'm... <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Duke twenty. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of disturbed, I'm disturbed about Boston College. Yeah, this this was a uh, a real sweat of a game that you were really hoping wasn't going to be a sweat for Boston College. Uh, Boston College 24, Texas State 21. We were both correctly in on Texas State plus 17 or 17 and a half or whatever the number was. Uh, Boston College, uh, okay, so not as pretty as it maybe looked a week ago against Duke. And once again, maybe they scored a couple of those points on uh, just – total defensive breakdowns by Duke because Boston college drive chart here. Let's go here, Mike. Mm-hmm. 10 plays, miss field goal, three and out four plays, touchdown, only six yards on that drive, eight plays, punt four plays, interception three and out 12 plays, touchdown five plays, punt three and out eight plays, touchdown seven plays, field goal. So a lot of a lot of three and outs, a lot of glitchiness. I don't, I don't really understand how. I mean, this is a Texas State team that's going to love to throw the ball, and I mean, not as many possessions as I would have expected here. Um, pretty evenly matched time of possession. I, I'd be lying if I said I, I watched every minute of this game, but Boston College clearly still has some things to be worked out here. Yeah, my first question to you um, before we hit record tonight is, who does this say more about, Boston College or Duke? Probably Duke. Uh, probably Duke, right? BC beats Duke 26-6 to last Saturday. Boston College barely hangs on against Texas State. Mm-hmm. They were losing at halftime. They didn't run the ball well. 27 carries for 87 yards in this game. Phil Dracovic, your starting quarterback, was the leading rusher. Eight carries, 37 yards, two touchdowns. Um Phil Dracovic threw 38 passes, completed 26 of them for only 210 yards. He had a touchdown and interception in this game, so not great. Um, the lone bright spot, in my opinion, now, now Dracovic made enough plays, and he was he was good when he needed to be. But the lone true bright spot in this game, in my opinion, for Boston College was Hunter Long. Nine catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. He was really good. He was. Really, really good. Um I worry I worry about BC. I worry about the running game, which now has not been very good through two games. Um, David Bailey, eight carries, 33 yards. I wonder why they didn't run the ball more, like, to try to establish that. It was just they fell down early in this game. They were losing at halftime. I think they felt like they needed to throw the ball more than they needed to. I, I just feel like in order for BC to be successful, they need to run the football well. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have enough skill position talent. Of course, outside of Zay Flowers, Hunter Long had a really good game yesterday. But like outside of Zay Flowers, like I don't look at the Boston College receiving core as like this earth-shattering thing where like 
they're going to beat you through the air. Dracovic's going to throw for 400 yards. Like, that's not the offense that they are at this point. Yeah. So they need to run the ball better. And they haven't run the ball well through two games. And the defense is okay, not great. This isn't like Adazio's defense from three or four years ago where they were like a top three unit in the country. Like, mm-hmm. they're so far from that at this point. They're adequate enough. But if BC's not running the football well, and if Dracovic's turning the ball over, like they're going to be in a lot of these type of games where they're the much better team than team X, but, and, and they're like a 17 or 18 point favorite, but they're just not going to cover that spread. Yeah. Or maybe they're a touchdown underdog against some of these teams on their schedule. And they're really just not that competitive in those games because they can't really get going offensively. They're behind the sticks, et cetera. So I'm, I'm worried about BC offensively defensively. They're just okay. And I think they're just going to continue to be okay. Um, but it gave me some pause to only beating Texas State by a field goal. Yep. No, I agree with that. And, I mean, not only that, this is a come-from-behind win, Mike. Like, right. Texas State right. had a lead midway through the third, the, the fourth quarter. You know, so having to come from behind to win this. And, again, year one, game two, weird offseason, pandemic, this, that, and the other thing. I get, I get all of that. But just trying to assess what this team is here in year one is, you know, it's a whole exercise. Um the only thing I'm going to bring up here before we just we're done with this is um, I'm not going to name any names, but I've, I've seen some people on the timeline on uh, on Twitter, Mike, that would insist that Boston College has you know one of the best offensive lines in the ACC. I I ain't seeing it. I ain't seeing it. If they're the I, if they're one of the best offensive lines in the ACC, I'm just guessing that they would have more than about three yards per carry against a Texas State defense. Agree, and I tweeted that I thought Virginia Tech had the best offensive line in the ACC. I tweeted that about a month ago, and that was around the time that Notre Dame was then introduced to the ACC, so things change. But look, like people telling me Boston College is a better offensive line than Virginia Tech's at this point, I don't Look, nope. BC's played two games, Tech's played one, but from what you've seen, <laughs> what I've seen, no. I'm not a hundred percent sold on Virginia tech as number one offensive line in the ACC. But if you ask me, is there a chance that Boston colleges is better? Nope. Nope. Absolutely not. Not with what we've seen so far. Yeah. Not at all. So, you know, last thing, and then I'll be done. Uh, Next game that Boston college will be favored in Mike. And Um, I'm just going to start rattling off games. You say, stop home against UNC. Home against Pittsburgh, at Virginia Tech, home against Georgia Tech, at Clemson, at Syracuse. Stop. Okay. Now, I think maybe Georgia Tech, but that could easily be a pick and I think the Syracuse game is the next time they could potentially be favored. Maybe, yeah. Th- those are really but, the only two. I mean. Yeah, and, and like the rest of the schedule after that Syracuse game, home against ND, home against Louisville at UVA. They're not going to be favored in any of those games no. for, based on what we've seen so far. Not at all. And, I mean, I'll be shocked if they win any of those games aside from the Georgia Tech and at Syracuse games. Agree. Like, everyone totally else agree. is just – this is a, a pretty rough schedule from here on out. And so, yeah, you, your absolute best case at this point is probably 4-6 and six or 4-7, and seven, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm not even sold that they get there. So we'll see. They're going to have to ugly it up. 
against some of these teams in order to have a real opportunity to exceed that. But I'm with you. I'm not sure they even get to four. Hooray for year zero. Yep. Mike, you want to give out some awards? Oh, man. We got some good ones here. Boy, do you. Uh, all right. We'll start with the Go ACC moment of the week. And I, I, I can't help. this. It is always my favorite when we are completely 100% in sync on uh, on how this award is going to be given out. Um, I was working to message you on Twitter about this game when I realized that you had just sent me the exact moment that I was going to point out as a prime candidate. I'll go ahead and let you introduce it if you'd like to. <laughs> oh, man. Florida State trying to throw the football, Joey. There's a handoff from James Blackman to a running back. Runs a sweep to the left. Tosses a, a little pitch to Jordan Travis on the reverse. Jordan Travis, of course, the backup quarterback for Florida State. We saw a good amount of him in this game. Uh, Jordan Travis, all of a sudden getting swallowed up by some Miami defenders, decides still he's going to throw the ball and instead throws it right to a Miami defender. So a bad play becomes worse. And they're already down 21 to three quickly after that, go down 28 to three. And we all know what goes on from there. So, and that was deep in their own territory too, by the way, that was not, yeah, that was not, I mean, man, there was so much wrong with that. Um, I don't know why we're running slow developing stuff behind an offensive line. They can't really protect and a defense is attacking a whole bunch. And I mean, just there was nothing about that play that made a damn bit of sense. Um, and again, you took a bad play and made it worse. So go ACC to you, Florida state offense at large and go find the video. I, I know we played the clip here, but like go find the video because the pass attempts is what I'm going to refer to it as mm -hmm. by Jordan Travis was one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. I mean, it, it, I'm going to go here. It was an attempted intentional grounding, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's fair. It failed. So go ACC to that. Um, good, good. One of numerous errors and, and, and issues that Florida State had in this game on Saturday. So good on you. Um, Mike, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. Um, once again, we, we alluded to this earlier in the podcast, and this is actually going to become just like a running theme on this show. I mentioned this, I forget if it was on the preview or last week's recap, is I don't understand how Jeff Collins and his coaching staff get away with talking so, so much about the importance of special teams and the amount that they practice special teams and they spend an inordinate amount of time and they're going to run fakes and they're going to do all this stuff. And then you get into the games and you're like, you would think that this is like something that they just made up on the sidelines half the time. Um, Georgia Tech special teams against Syracuse. Take quick inventory. Uh, number one, they faked an extra point that became a holder slash punter sweep. Uh, to the left that I, I think lost yards, not even got close to the to the, the end zone. You only had to get three yards. They didn't get any, and I think they might have lost a yard. So that's that's good. Um, they went one, or they are currently one for five on field goals this year, including more blocked field goals than made field goals. That's probably not how you drew it up. Uh, by the way, they also allowed a 49-yard kickoff return that set up a Syracuse touchdown. I got nothing, Mike. I didn't... <laughs> You tried to coach competent special teams and to put a lot of effort into this, and it ain't working. It ain't maybe working. Maybe instead of yeah, maybe instead of running fakes and saying you're gonna do X, Y, and Z with special teams, maybe you should just focus on learning how to kick field goals and like start there. It's a lot, and then 
Yeah, and then work your way up. When I have Joey, um, a good friend of mine, as you all know, tweeting that his alma mater, when they're deep in opposing territory, when they're in the red zone, when he's suggesting that they should, on fourth down, either go for it or cough in corner punts with the quarterback, that's when you know your special teams is a problem. If you can't trust your field goal kicker to make field goals inside of 35 yards, you have major issues. And look, it's not even it's not even trying to make a kick. It's trying to get the kick off at this point. So that's where we're at with Georgia Tech special teams. Stop talking about what you're doing and just go do it. Because until we get to that point, we're just going to continue to make fun of you on this podcast, which could be fun for us, Joey. Or at it's least not, fun for me. It's not fun for me, Mike. It's, it's not fun it's for really me. Not fun, really not fun for you. I, it's a lot of fun for me, though. I am dead serious. If it is fourth and 12 from the 18-yard line at this point, and they line up, and they just snap to the quarterback, and he just sort of pooch kicks it towards the, the pylon, I'd be good with that. I'm in. I'm in. Do that. Don't try to kick a field goal, because clearly that shit's not going to work. Don't do it. It's ridiculous. Oh, man. By the way, yeah. the block field goal this week, I don't know that a Syracuse player actually even touched it. I think a Syracuse player pushed a blocker so far back, and the kick was so low that it hit a Georgia Tech blocker's helmet. That's what we're talking about here. Like, are you bleeping kidding me right now? When you're worried about field position on 35-yard field goal attempts, that's when you know your special team is absolutely atrocious. You're wasting downs. Like, yeah. you just... Why line up for a field goal? Just, you know, uh, go for it. That'll save you field position even if you don't get it. And if you just kick it, like, you get even better field position. Stop acting like you're going to get points off field goal tries. You're not. You're one of five, and three of them have been blocked. Like, what are we doing? It's a bad situation for your alma mater. I am beside myself, Mike. I'm beside myself. Go Jackets. I'll be here in two weeks. That's all I got, Mike. Team, well, hold on, hold on. We got more. Team of the week, player of the week. Uh, team of the week, I, I have no choice but to take Miami. I mean, I didn't take them last week. Probably should have. Um, but I'll, I'll take them now. Uh, huge statement win. F- almost went over the total by themselves, which I didn't really think was possible. But they did it. So um, I'll, take the cur- I'll take the Canes. I don't hate them. This is not a hater podcast, Mike. It's not a hater, so I'll, I'll take them. Yeah, Miami scores 52 points in a rivalry game. It's hard not to pick them, mm-hmm. um, but I'm for the sake of being different, I'll give you two others. Um, Virginia Tech, down 23 players, four assistants. They blow the doors off of NC State, so that'll be my team of the week. Honorable mention uh, goes to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, big win um, against Louisville, a game you absolutely had to have. Um, we said in the preview, or or at least I said in the preview, I thought that 28 points is what Pittsburgh needed. Um, they actually only needed 23 because they turned Malik Cunningham over three times. So the Pittsburgh defense actually played even better than I expected it to. Mm -hmm. Um, so shout out to Pitt. Yep. Uh, And speaking of honorable mentions and not being a hater, Mike, my honorable mention has got to be Virginia, right? Got the win. (sighs) Got the win. Don't need Bryce. They did. Yeah. You're thrilled yeah. by this. I'm sick. Good, hey, good win, Virginia. You got it done. 18 point win over Duke. Like that's that's not easy to do. So I'll take that. That's good. Yeah, it's always always good to beat your little brother. 
Mike, who's your player of the week? <sighs> I don't want to steal your thunder. Can I steal your thunder? Yeah, it's all yours. It's dear King. It's dear. It's got to be. I yeah. mean, it's got to be. And it is. It is for you too. We talked about this before the podcast. Yep. Yeah, record like your player of the week's Derek King. Mine's going to have to be Derek King as well because I looked up and down the board here, Joey, as we were just kind of recording this going through. There's nobody else I can really take that comes close to what Derek King did on Saturday night against Florida State. Yeah. Um, if there's if there's one, it could be Virginia Tech running back Khalil Herbert, six carries for 104 yards and a touchdown. He averaged 17 yards per rush. So that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But Derek King had more of an impact on the game um, in, in the game against Florida State than Herbert did against NC State. I think even if, you know, Herbert didn't go for 104 and a touchdown, Tech would have been just fine. Yep. Yeah, I'm on Derek King as well. Um, I mean, he was outstanding in the premier, if not, you know, one of the two or three premier games uh, of the weekend here in the ACC. The, the other name I, I wanted to call out, and again, just, I, I don't know, maybe not being a hater, Honorable mention for me is Lavelle Davis Jr. for Virginia. Um, had a couple of ridiculous catches, a couple of touchdowns receiving. Um, young guy, new to the team. Um, looks like he could be a pretty big force uh, for Virginia moving forward. So I'll call him out. Honorable mention for me. But, yeah, it's, I mean, Derek King has to take the the honors this week for me. He was pretty flawless in that game and that big win over their rival Florida State. So um, good on you, Miami. Remember, Mike and Joey hate Miami, but – they're the team of the week, and their quarterback is the player of the week. So we can only hate them so much, right? Yeah, at least they have a bye week to prepare for the best team in college football. Good luck. Buena suerte. No way that that doesn't go well, right? <laughs> well, we'll just, uh, let's just check on Cam's Twitter here for a minute and see uh, how he's – if he's feeling himself yet on uh, the Canes being back, the U being back. Optimistic Cam is big back. We're going to have to get him on here soon, I think. <laughs> we had sober, uh, borderline pessimist Cam on to preview Miami, and uh, that seemed like that was a short-lived version of himself. I mean, yeah, Cam said seven wins. They're basically – we can't you can't do half a win, so they're yeah. basically halfway there. Yeah. <laughs> so I, – I mean, at I, this point, they're going to get there. They'll get there and probably, probably further than that, but – Agree. You know, on some level, you could also say the best is yet to come from uh, Miami's schedule. So we'll see. It should be fun to watch. I I am thoroughly intrigued at watching this Miami team going forward and see can they keep it up for another eight games and, you know, as some of the defenses get better and this, that, and the other. It's going to be fun to watch, I think. I'm intrigued as well because they play two really good defenses next couple weeks. They play Virginia Tech and North Carolina in the latter portion of the schedule. There are some very intriguing games here to find out what Miami is. Yep. Absolutely. Mike, that's all I got in week three. Anything else? This was thorough. This was very thorough. This went on a lot longer than intended, but uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of good stuff to talk about as we're starting to learn more about some of these teams. So I'm glad we were able to take the time to do so. Um, Agree. You want to come back and preview week four? I do. All right. I do. Well, until then for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. You can find him on Twitter at Mike McDaniel VT. I am at FTRS Joey and together we're at BC podcast ACC and Mike, I almost skipped over like the whole outro. So I wasn't going to say a word. I am very distracted by how disappointed I am at Georgia tech. Anyways, uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google play, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. Uh, and you can also send us an email to the longest email address known to man basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. 
Nailed it. Thank you. We haven't got an email in a minute, so if you send one, you're probably going to get on the show. So just hit us up. Uh, Mike, you want somebody that can find us on the social medias? How about that for a plug on the email? I like nice, that. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all the podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Appreciate those who have. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. You want to come back and preview week week four? I do. A little bit different slate. A little up- different. This upcoming this weekend. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Starting to get some real bye weeks mixed in, which is going to be a whole thing. So should be fun. Uh, we will come back and do that here in the next few days, and we will talk then. Yep. All right. Well, for that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Yeah.